just when you thought it was safe to go back into your podcast feed. Hello and welcome to the 250, your apparently semi-daily podcast this Shark Week, looking at the Jaws franchise of films. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? Hello, Darren. I'm very well, thank you. How are you this evening? I'm I'm good. I'm probably as good as I'm going to be, I think, for the rest of this particular week that we've set ourselves adventuring upon. And joining us on this journey uh, for these four episodes, as ever, coming back after yesterday, it's Emma Kylie. How are you, Emma? How are things? I'm very well. I am delighted to be back, to be asked back to talk about some of the greatest films of all time, which might be divisive to some, but I definitely think so. <laughs> okay, well, that's a, that's a strong <laughs> position to outline, particularly when we're talking about shows. It may get a bit bit stronger as the, the week yeah. goes on, perhaps, I think. Maybe. Um, but yes, we're going kind of film by film for the series. So today we are talking about Jaws 2, the original sequel to Jaws. And joining us for this discussion, a fantastic guest, the wonderful Jess Dunn. How are you, Jess? I'm good. Yeah, excited to be here. Um, and what a film to talk about. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting stuck into it. Well, let, let's start with, with Jess, actually, because obviously, like, we, we talked about Jaws. We talked about Jaws in the podcast before. We talked about it yesterday. But Jaws 2 specifically. So when I went out and I kind of went out searching for guests to join us for this this trip through the film franchise, um, I was told you're, you're, you would be a exploitation fan. That 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 label was, was kind of given to me. Um, so would you like to just talk a little bit about your affection for the genre or, or kind of like, what do you think of the original Jaws? And when I asked, like, I gave you your choice, your smorgasbord of the Jaws franchise to talk about, you immediately picked Jaws too. So why that was. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I definitely, I do. I love, I, I love monster movies in general, to be honest, Um, like Anaconda, uh, which I know people have mixed feelings on, um, like Placid, uh what was the one that came out recently enough? A oh, crawl. Um, is, is I have a fondness for it, and I'm I'm not quite sure where it's coming from. I think it's um, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people are kind of afraid of the ocean. They f- kind of find it spooky. Like we've only um delved into about five percent of it and that kind of thing. And I think it's not really about for me the sharks. It's actually about the the water. Um, you know, the the tagline is uh, we're all afraid to go into the water, and 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 the, I. I think that's what really attracts me to it and what I find really uh, most interesting. I don't know if people saw on Twitter um, a few days ago, this video went viral of um, someone kayaking in Florida and uh, you can kind of hear like splashing and, and around and stuff. It's quite obvious that um, an alligator or crocodile, I'm not sure which, is following them and then kind of throws them out of the kayak and, and they kind of, you know, they get away and whatever, but you never see the alligator. And I think that's obviously the really strong thing about the first Jaws film is that you don't see the shark that much. And so it, it's <laughs> like the terror of what's going on and not being able to to really kind of feel safe. Um why I like Jaws 2 is, um, you know, it's like one of the most popular or, or most um, commercially successful sequels of all time for, for quite a long time. And I think the reason for that is it kind of, you know, it doesn't just deliver us Jaws again. It does, you know, slightly different things, but it also doesn't fall into the trap that I feel like a lot of this type of film falls into and in that it's kind of similar to like the slasher thing where slasher films that are strong aren't actually about, you know, the killer usually but the sequels kind of have to be to have that kind of continuity and that's where they kind of veer out of control and you either have people like the sequels or you have people like the originals 
what this one did, I think quite strongly is it, it's not about the shark. And, and I know towards the latter end of, of the series, you know, that is where it goes. Cause where else do you go? Um, so yeah, I just, I find it interesting the way it, it kind of half is a slasher in kind of being about this group of teenagers, but it's still about Brody and it's still about, you know, kind of masculinity and him keeping his family safe and stuff like this and like getting fired and gaslit and his PTSD and all the rest of it. Um, yeah, I think it just kind of went in, in an interesting direction that I appreciate. And, and Emma, just like in terms of like as our guide through the Jaws films, as, as you argued, the four of the best films ever made, perhaps a bold statement, one might say, in three Maybe. of those cases, particularly two of those cases. But how would you situate Jaws 2 just in terms of the larger franchise? Because obviously it is the immediate sequel to Jaws. It is the only film of the four that has not been on either list, either the top 250 or the bottom 100 that we normally cover. If we were doing films that were on the list, this would be the one that we would skip. So this is kind of the bonus episode of the set. How does it fall for you? What is your, what's your kind of quick take on Jaws 2? Like in terms of ranking the four, um, it obviously goes like the best one is obviously the original, then two, and then controversial, revenge, and then 3D. Um, but I like exactly what Jess said. I think it is a very worthy follow up. I know Roy Scheider didn't want to come back for it, but I'm so glad he did because it's a real, t- it's a real, it's a real tribute to his character. It's not like I watched it last night and it was the first time I'd watched it in a while. And I didn't realize that this is a film about Brody. It's not a film about a shark. And I almost thought there was such kind of Greek tragedy, Shakespearean kind of elements through it. And it really kind of, you know, it starts with him and he's all happy. And then, you know, his kind of, he gets his paranoia and his kind of stance in society is questioned. And then he, it's like a tale of redemption. It's not so much about a shark. Like it'd be like the first one you could say is a tale of like friendship and like man versus animal. But I think the interesting thing about Jaws too is that out of all the four films, including the first one, it's the most similar to the book. It really goes into kind of amity and what's at stake for the town and how people are willing to go against Brody and go against the greater good for kind of commercial greed. And I think that's always been interesting. So I think it is definitely what Peter Benchley was talking about originally when he set out to write Jaws, which I think is really interesting to look at. Yeah, it's probably worth just giving a bit of very quick context in terms of of Jaws 2, in terms of like explaining what the sequel is and kind of how it came to be. Uh, This is a movie that is arguably one of the most important and influential movies in like the evolution of Hollywood in terms of getting from where Hollywood was to where Hollywood is today. And it's not often talked about because it's maybe not considered to be a classic. Uh, It is one of the first examples of a sequel uh, in terms of like Hollywood learning that sequels are not things to be embarrassed of. We talked about when we talked about like The Empire Strikes Back and we talked about Godfather Part 2, we talked about how traditionally Hollywood had seen sequels as things that you you invest less money in and hope that your deteriorating box office falls slower than your budget cuts, basically. And so you end up with situations where you end up making sequels very quickly and you end up making them very cheaply and you hope to wring whatever juice is left out in the fruit uh, as quickly as possible. Um, and you always generally avoided putting two in the title because you didn't want the audience to feel like they're being ripped off. So you had things like, say, Bride of Frankenstein, Daughter of Dracula, Abbott and Costello meet the Wolfman, all that sort of stuff going on, where the idea was that you weren't selling sequels because they were tawdry, cheap things. And in fact, according to Jaws 2, the making of the Hollywood sequel, this was the first movie to actually include the number two in the title. Uh, or the first Hollywood movie, to be precise. Uh, Brit- British movies had done it a couple of times in the 60s. 
But this was the first movie to include the actual number two as opposed to the Roman character. Now, obviously, we talked about, when we talked about Godfather Part Two, Francis Ford Coppola had been the first American director to put Part Two and the Roman numeral two in the title and to fight Paramount to do that instead of calling it like Son of the Godfather or something like that. And after that, you'd had movies, uh, you know, movies that we covered, movies we haven't, movies like, say, French Connection 2 and movies like Heretic 2, The Exorcist, sorry, Heretic, The Exorcist 2 where Hollywood was kind of moving towards commissioning sequels. But when Jaws came out, and when it was a massive success, uh, a movie that defined the summer blockbuster, redefined Hollywood movie making, obviously Universal were immediately like, yeah, let's make more of this immediately. And the first thing they did was they reached out to Steven Spielberg, because he had been the director of the original film, and they were like, would you like to make another one for us? And we will pay you a literal boatload of money. And Spielberg's response on being offered this, and this is a quote that he gave. You're going to need a bigger boat. (laughs) Very, very fair point. Uh, But his response to this in 1977, um, apparently, was to say publicly to the press, making a sequel to anything is just a cheap, carny trick. Universal offered me the opportunity to direct the sequel, but I didn't even answer them. I didn't call or write or anything. Spielberg was just like, I'm not interested in doing this. He wanted to take his ball and go off and make, obviously, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, one of the rare movies that Spielberg actually wrote, but something that he saw as being worth doing. And by the way, he took Richard Dreyfus with him to do that, which is one of the reasons uh, why Dreyfus is conveniently, um, not to spoil the movie we're going to talk about, but on the other side of the planet and out of phone conversation range uh, for the extent of this movie. But Universal said, okay, fine, we're going to go ahead, we're going to do it anyway. And they hired, basically, they hired John Hancock, um, who was a horror director, and they asked him to come in and make the sequel. And Hancock talked to Spielberg, and Spielberg was very, you know, as encouraging as he would be over lunch. He gave him a couple of ideas for scenes. And Hancock came up with a couple of ideas where he wanted to push the movie in in interesting directions. He wanted to look at Amity Island dealing with an economic meltdown following the consequences of the shark attack four years earlier. And he wanted the thriving community to be reduced to near deserted streets, dilapidated storefronts and vacant beach cottages. Um, And apparently Hancock, like he got to film four weeks of this. Famously, he insisted that nobody on the set could wear yellow. Uh, reportedly, he had extras painting over the yellow lines on the roads in the Amity community where they were where they were filming. And he tried to get local businesses to like nail placards over their windows to give the appearance of being an economically destitute town. Notably, this was not very popular. Hancock would go on to be fired from the production when Universal kind of figured out what he was doing. Um, and the story of how he was fired is again kind of interesting in the sense that the head of Universal was a man, as we discussed, called Sid Sheinberg. He was married to Lorraine Gray, who is starring in this movie and gets above the title billing in this movie as Chief Brody's wife, Ellen. Keep an eye on that. This will not be the last time we talk about Lorraine Gary. But basically, so she was due to come back for the sequel. Sheinberg told Hancock and his writers that what he wanted to do was he wanted Gary to, he wanted the character of Ellen to be involved in the movie in a major way. And he liked the script, but he wanted her to join the chief on the boat and to be a major part of the third act of the movie. Hancock and Tristan kind of laughed it off. And they were like, ha ha ha, 
the chief executive of Universal wants his wife to be the star of this major summer blockbuster. He's obviously joking. We're not going to do that. Rewrote the script and turned it in without uh, Ellen Brody in the third act of the movie. And then were promptly fired um, as a result of that, apparently. This led to a number of disturbances behind the scenes uh, where Scheinberg desperately tried to replace Hancock at incredibly short notice, having already set the release date of the movie. Rumor has it that he wanted to replace him uh, using Joe Elves, um, who serves as, I believe, as production designer and second unit director on this movie, and who will become the director of Jaws 3D. So we'll be talking about him later in the week. And there was also Verna Fields, who was the editor on the original Jaws, who'd always been opposed to Hancock, and who had ascended to an executive position within Universal. Now, while Scheinberg was thinking about replacing Hancock with either of these two two key figures... There were other things happening in Hollywood during the making of The Outlaw Josie Wales, in which Clint Eastwood was filming, directed by Stephen, uh, directed by Philip Kaufman, uh, who would go on to be one of the guys who almost directed Raised the Lost Ark. Eastwood had apparently grown tired of Kaufman's directorial style, which consisted of taking his time, uh, considering his shots, and working to a schedule that Eastwood deemed to be relaxed and introspective, which was not how he wanted to make the movie. So Eastwood fired Kaufman and took over direction himself, much to the chagrin of the DGA, who fined him somewhere in the region, I believe, $60,000. This led to the implementation of the Eastwood rule, which meant that when you fire a director from a movie, you cannot replace them with an existing member of the film crew. So you can't fire a director and replace it with a second unit director, and you also can't fire them and replace them with an executive working in the company. And apparently that led to shouting matches in the polo lounge at the Beverly Hills Hotel between Sid Scheinberg and the head of the DGA, uh, leading apparently Robert Aldrich, the head of the DGA, to declare, no, you will not replace a DGA director with one of your executives or anyone else on the picture. It will not happen. And apparently the two of them basically came to blows. This, by the way, will not be the only time in this series we talk about Sid Scheinberg, the head of Universal Pictures, possibly punching somebody in an argument about a movie over a shark. As a result, the directorial role on Jaws 2, which needed to be filled very quickly in order to get the production back on schedule, ended up being filled by Jeannette Schwarzk, who is a French director who is primarily known and continues to be primarily known for his work in television. He directed everything from episodes of Ironside and the Rockford Files, The Six Million Dollar Man and Kojak, through to episodes of Criminal Minds, Castle and Scandal. That is an interesting kind of thing because that perhaps explains a lot about how this movie ended up. Because one of the big discussions about this movie is the question of how much do you lose when you go from a movie directed by Spielberg to a movie that is not directed by Spielberg. And I guess before we talk to the Spore Zone, just to throw this open to, to the crowd, to Jess and, and to Emma, like how big a deal do we think the absence of Spielberg is here? And do we think that's the reason why this movie maybe has the reputation or doesn't have the reputation uh, that it does? So Jess, do we miss Spielberg here? I mean, you know me, Darren, I'm always going to miss um, Spielberg. I can completely understand why he wouldn't have come back because, you know, if you've already made a Jaws film, what do you do in returning to it? Like, I can completely understand why he wouldn't come back. What I think really um, works about this film in, in kind of that continuity is that Williams did come back because I think it would be a much cheaper, shockier 
um, film without William's kind of score and, and also the fact that he didn't just kind of put out the already strong um, theme that he had, you know, he kind of elevated it and, and revisited it and, and changed things and went with the slightly different tone that, as Emma said, this film has and the slightly kind of different thematic considerations. It's, it's kind of telling a different story or a different angle of the story anyway. So for me, it's, it's you know, I, I notice the absence, but it's not a massive loss. And in fact, I think it allows the film to go in a different direction um, than it otherwise would have been able to. And kind of, Emma, as our, like, as our expert on the Jaws franchise and the films, right? Obviously, there are more Jaws films not directed by Spielberg than there are directed by Spielberg. Yeah. But like, how does it feel to go from Jaws to this? I don't know. Like, I agree with Jess. Like, you obviously definitely miss it in like... You know, it's Spielberg, like Spiel, Jaws and Spielberg are so synonymous. You don't have Jaws without Spielberg, obviously. But I think Jess is right. You, like Jaws 2 went a bit crazy. And like, what's wrong with that? Because I think the main thing, am I right in saying that the code, that it's the same writers as the first screenplay? Um, It's the same rewriter as the same uh, screenplay. It was uh, Carl Gottlieb was kind of brought in. Basically, and there was some, again, there were lots of arguments over this with yeah. the, the crediting of this in the WGA and stuff like that, where obviously Hancock worked with, I believe it's why his wife, it was Deborah Tristain, I think it was, who worked on the initial draft of the script. But then because Gottlieb had kind of held back and Gottlieb had said, look, they're not paying me enough money. And then as we mentioned, as the production spiraled out of control and as deadlines started to hit, they said, OK, here's more money please come and fix the script. And Gottlieb did come back and say, yes, I will rework and rewrite the script. And there is some debate about how much Gottlieb changed the script, where Hancock says he just changed a couple of character names. Um, whereas Gottlieb's like, no, it was a pretty severe rewrite from from the bottom up. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think you definitely... I think they did the best they could without Spielberg. I think that's the easy way of putting it. That obviously it'd be a better film if Spielberg came back. But I think the main thing that saved it was the return of Roy Scheider. Like, I think he absolutely, like, without him, it wouldn't have been a film. With it. Like, if you, maybe if you had a film about Hooper, or is it Hooper or Hopper? Hooper. <laughs> Hooper. Oh my God, I'm not the Jaws expert. If you had a film without, with just Hooper, that might have even been a great film. What about a prequel by Robert Shaw on that ship that went down? That could have been cool. I think it's the actors that really make Jaws as well as Spielberg. So I think that, I going back to what I said, I think they did the best that they could. Obviously you feel the absence, but I don't think it fell into dis, like despair without the presence of Spielberg at all. And I mean, it, it is worth noting there actually that like one of the ideas when Spielberg was approached and he was like apparently, so after Hancock was fired, Universal went back to Spielberg with their cap in hand and were like, whatever it takes, please, please, please come back. And Spielberg's like, okay, I'm working on post-production now and kind of like reshoots and the shoot is going on on Close Encounters. But what I'll do is I'll, I'll give it some thought. And he said he spent like the 4th of July weekend like trying to figure out how he would do a sequel and it was like okay I'll go back and I'll do the Indianapolis and apparently Universal were like nope that's not what we want we want sexy teens and the actual quote here is like Spielberg saying I decided a sequel would would not be an exercise in expanding my own horizons it would be corporate business and actually what's interesting is Spielberg's kind of come back and said in hindsight so like in 2011 for example he says that he, he sorry 
No, I'm, I mean, like, it took Spielberg a while to become a shill. You know? <laughs> and it's like, in in hindsight, I shouldn't have had, um, you know, I, ideals or, <laughs> know, um, you know, what's so wrong about selling out to, uh, to, to Universal? Interest? I maybe should have replied yeah. to their phone call. Um, yeah, it's like, I maybe now, should call them now, politely. now that I am a business, <laughs> I feel differently about things. Yeah, Shia LaBeouf really opened my eyes to that, I think. Um, but, like, yeah, he's, he's come back and he said that, like, he, he feels really bad that he didn't do the sequel. Like, he, you know, if he hadn't had such a horrible time at sea on the first film, maybe he would have come back. Or, you know, like, looking at the, how the film turned out, it's like, I maybe I could have done a better job. Um, but, you know, also the fact that it's like, I, I feel like I kind of let something go that I, I maybe could have contributed to. And he's talked about how he has, like, one scene with a shark that he really wants to do at some point in his career uh, that he won't even talk about in interviews because he's like, I can't tell you it because I want to do it on screen, uh, which is kind of interesting. And it's notable that like after this, Spielberg makes a point to stick around for at least some of his sequels. So like he does the sequel to Raiders, for example, he does Temple of Doom. And then he does the first sequel to Jurassic Park. And, and when that doesn't work out, he kind of washes his hands of it and kind of steps back. But like, yeah, I, I, th- I think it's, it's kind of interesting that Spielberg does kind of regret that a bit. And it's notable that like the original plan was to to reunite um, the, the three characters from the first film, as difficult as that might be in at least one of those cases. But they originally wanted to recast Hopper as Erlen Josephson, uh, the Swedish actor and famous collaborator of Ingmar Bergman, uh, which is kind of interesting to imagine. And the original draft of this featured Quint's son coming to town to hunt another shark in... Re- <laughs> Sorry. No way! <laughs> yep. Sorry, I th- we needed to pause to acknowledge the reactions there. Yeah, there was going to be like a young, sexy Quintson. That was like the bitch one. Oh, I'm here for that. Uh, young, sexy Robert Shaw. Jaws the next generation. Yeah. yeah. I'm here for yeah, it. I'd eat that up. Because the mm-hmm. mayor's son is one of the, the guys, yeah. but they're just kind of quite quiet about it. So that would have been amazing. Yeah, well, exactly. Well, like, well, the yeah, idea. You, you, you've, you've got Vaughn's son, you've got Scheider's son. Yeah. They're all kind of Muppets babying. Yeah, you no. could definitely have a few more. Um, who who prefer um, for some reason as yeah. a son that I get, I, did 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 um, did Quint mention having a, a son? No, no. Like, was did she belong to some Spanish lady? Uh, but um, it was going to be like a, he was going to show up early in the film. And it was going to be a mystery. It was going to like be a brooding type who'd hang around town. He was the character was I believe described by again Sid Sheinberg, the head of like Universal Pictures, who was very invested in what Jaws Two was going to be. It was going to be Sideburns was the name of the character to the point so- where. I, yeah, it, like like to the point where I believe when Gottlieb rewrote the script and he was still in it, he called him Burnside because at least that sounded like an actual name yeah. as opposed to Sideburns. Um, but yeah, they, so that, they like, did keep a character with Sideburns. They did. Uh, we'll talk about that. Um, that's, who, weirdly enough, reminds me of Spielberg. Of all the characters, in the, I guess it's the big glasses um, and the kind of nerdishness, but he kind of gives me a bit of a weird kind of Spielberg vibe. And like e- Emma kind of mentioned this there, it's it's just worth flagging as well before we talk about it, just the, the Roy Scheiderness of it all, where <laughs> Scheider did not want to be... Sorry? <laughs> I just imagine kind of... Um, like, like obviously, Spielberg was once a younger man, but I just imagine like, uh, like four or five boatloads of teens, and then this one guy in a baseball hat with like a beard. <laughs> 
I guess maybe um, like a bit portly. Um, <laughs> blending in perfectly yeah, in the yeah. background with a little checkered shirt and such. Uh, <laughs> I'm wearing like a life preserver jacket. Um, but like, yeah, so, so Scheider uh, apparently also did not want to make this movie to begin with, even though, um, and he was actually working on The Deer Hunter um, at the time when this movie was commissioned. And he was initially, he turned down the role under the pretense of like be working on The Deer Hunter until Scheider, a, a famously combative actor, uh, got into a major disagreement on the set of The Deer Hunter, where he was playing the character that would eventually be played by Robert De Niro. That's the character of Michael who was originally supposed to be the character who was going to be left behind in Vietnam. And so was going to be the character who would end up playing Russian roulette. Um, like, like, like Walken's character eventually does. They change it to be Nick, who's Walken's character, which caused Scheider to storm off. Um, and, and like Scheider, I love this, by the way, Scheider's uh, response was that the character of Michael, who's the character who is not left behind in Vietnam and the deer hunter was unrealistic to him because, and I quote, it's completely implausible that anyone would go halfway around the world to save a friend, stated the actor, departing the film due to creative differences. Swiftly replaced by Robert De Niro, 10 years his junior, and already with a proven track record as a lead actor. Um, so after Scheider had stormed off the set of The Deer Hunter, Universal kind of showed up at his door saying, first of all, you stormed off The Deer Hunter, you owe us a movie. Second of all, you have a contractual obligation to us where you owe us two movies. And so here's what's going to happen. You can star in Jaws 2 and we will pay you, uh, depending on sources cited, somewhere between four hundred dollars and $500,000, which is approximately four times what you got paid on the first Jaws. And we will count that as two films for the price of one. Or you can turn down Jaws 2 and we will just offer you Jaws 3 and Jaws 4 and Jaws 5 until you eventually say yes. So apparently Scheider bit the bullet and was like, okay, I will do... Jaws 2. By his own account, he was not the nicest man to be around on that set. At several points himself and the director came to fisticuffs uh, over the amount of direction that Schwark, a television director, was or was not giving to Ry Scheuder, one of the greatest actors of the New Hollywood Movement. So that was apparently great fun for, for everybody uh, involved. But Andrew, um, had you seen Jaws 2 before we decided that we were going to do the Jaws franchise for this podcast? I don't think I had. Um, I think I was kind of aware of it. Um, maybe just true Father Ted. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's a reference to Jaws 2 there, where it's like, no, Jaws 2, it's a completely different shark. Um, <laughs> it is what... Well, did you... Did you yeah, we'll talk about it in the spoiler zone because there is there is some question about the identity and history of the shark uh, in this movie, but we can get to that in the spoiler zone. So I guess three questions before we jump into the spoiler zone. So uh, Emma, mm. now yes. because this has been on neither list, do you think that Jaws two belongs on the list of the two hundred and fifty greatest movies or the one hundred worst movies ever made, or neither? Ah, like yeah, I'm trying to be like grounded in my answer and say I definitely don't think it deserve it deserves to be on the 100 worst films if any Jaws film deserves to be on that it's 100% Jaws 3 but in terms of like 250 best yeah probably not but in my personal 250 list it's definitely up there but 
you know, I, it's it's so hard to single it out out of without Jaws. You know, looking at it as just a film in itself. Like if you love, if you really love Jaws, you're more than likely going to love Jaws too. But as a film in itself, no, I don't think it deserves to be on either list. Um, and Jess, what about yourself? Would the, do you think that this movie belongs on either of those lists or on any list? Yeah, no, for me, kind of similar sentiments to Emma. Like I don't, it's it's not awful. It's not a badly made film and I think as shark films go and I've seen so so many um you know Ghost Shark, Sharknado etc, uh, Sharknado 3, 4 uh, etc. Not you know, Sharknado 2 though. <laughs> <laughs> there's much worse shark films than this. I think this is a competently made film. It's it's a good story and um, the acting is actually fantastic from some of the the teen characters in particular. So no, I don't, I don't think it's earned a spot on the, certainly the worst list. And I don't think it definitely, it does not do enough to get into the top list. So And, and it is worth noting, by the way, that like Sharksploitation, which was in full effect from the success of Jaws, had already kicked into like cinema. Like it's notable that like movies like The Deep and movies like Orca the Killer Whale had already it's like made their way to cinema. You've, you've seen it, have you? Yeah, Orca is is a trip and I would definitely recommend it to anybody who likes any kind of ocean film. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Uh, there's a miscarriage of one of the animals and it just so many, so many strange things. Um, yeah, just it's amazing. Just to like put that in perspective, Orca is, as the title implies, an ocean going tale with ecological overtones in which a ruthless profiteering fisherman accidentally kills the pregnant mate of a canny killer whale. It's Jaws meets Moby Dick and it stars Richard Harris, Charlotte Rampling, Bo Derrick. Um, wow. So yeah. Yeah. So Richard funny. Harris. Yeah. Yes. Dumbledore, yeah the, Dumbledore himself. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. As oh, a younger man, it's incredible. And like verdict era Charlotte Rampling. Oh, I'm I'm in. Watch the trailer even. It's a trip. <laughs> I don't need to. I will be sitting down tonight watching that 100%. <laughs> and and like not not to give a spoiler away for the movie that we're about to discuss. There is something of a none too subtle take that from Jaws 2 to Orca the Killer Whale, the movie that somewhat stole the thunder of the shark exploitation, like ocean creature terror wave coming off it, in that, like, yes, a dead bloated orca does wash up on the shore at one point, having been chewed and devoured by the shark from Jaws 2. But Andrew, what about yourself? Do you think that Jaws 2 belongs on a list of either the top 250 or the bottom 100 movies ever made? Um, no, I don't. It felt felt to me like a kind of a, a a a forgettable kind of Dean horror. I I I I think um more than uh, missing Spielberg because I don't like all Spielberg movies. Um, I think it misses the kind of triumvirate. Uh, Scheider is there and he's very strong, but with 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 without uh. Dreyfus and Shaw are somebody um, who's able to kind of carry that weight. I think it, 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 it lacks a bit and it, 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 it replaces it with, with, um, with teens that I kind of want to um, <laughs> get, get, get eaten. So I, 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 I don't find it um, as um, compelling. Like, like, you know, that I, I find, I find those characters kind of like, um, um, annoying I guess maybe like I, I don't know if they were meant to be or not yeah I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put this on on the top 250 it, it's not it's um it's not in the same league 
um, as uh, as Joe's. Not in the same um, two thousand leagues. No, no. <laughs> um, not 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 in the same twenty thousand leagues. Twenty thousand leagues, damn it! Sorry. Oh. Um, no, no, no. That's fine. Um, how about yourself? Uh, no one on either count. I think this is an interesting movie. I think it's a disjointed and uneven movie. I think that it's like half of it is is really great. Half of it is absolutely fascinating, bold and interesting and a very clever thing to do with the sequel to Jaws. I think the other half is like a weirdly unformed slasher movie because it's worth like we talk we've talked a lot about the teens or we've alluded to the stuff involving teens and we'll talk about it in the spore zone uh later on but it's worth noting that this is the four months before the release of halloween uh the movie that kind of codified the modern slasher movie i know that obviously black christmas came out before i know there's a long history of like whether or not psycho is a slasher and stuff like that and there's some debate about like whether or not Halloween is the first slasher or whether that's a meaningful distinction to make in terms of codifying the genre but the idea of yes sexy teens have sexy times and get brutally murdered for them was something that was like not really codified in pop culture at the time so it's really fascinating that Jaws 2 is like a proto unformed version of that where it's like it's it's like that quote from the Simpsons you know I'll go skinny dipping in that lake where the sexy teens were murdered a hundred years ago tonight where it's like no 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 the, the, the teens are gonna go out on like a boat journey into the middle of the ocean and like drink and hang out with girls and are going to get horribly horribly murdered by a monster for doing that um and i i don't think that movie is anywhere near as interesting as the movie that shider's in i think shider's movie is much more compelling and i think the movie suffers and i i do think it it misses spielberg uh but i think it suffers because schwark isn't a director who's particularly interested in artfulness um and i think that it the Scheider version of the movie is at its best when it could be artful or interesting or unusual or weird. Whereas a lot of this movie, Schwark's like, you're here for a shark. Here is a shark. And I'm like, thank you. Yeah. More, please. And, and the, it, it does give more to Ellen Brody. And I think Gary is good. But... I was kind of, it was strange because it, it it's kind of like, oh, okay, I'm going off on my own now, you know, rather than it 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 kind of minimizes her at an at an odd um, stage of the movie when it when it when it feels like she kind of needs to be there if this is going to if she's going to carry some of that uh, jaws weight, yeah. Um, and I think she could have done a a, a like a, obviously that's not the movie, but um, I, I, I feel I feel like it's strange that there wasn't even an argument over that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like yeah I'll uh, um, I'll go I'll go home now yeah yeah um, yeah. um like, like it does seem like again because that was what that was the argument that got Hancock fired from the movie. Hope, hope and my it's child that... is okay. <laughs> Yeah, no, the ten-year-old, the younger one. It's yeah. just like, ah, oh, okay. Yeah, that's fine, <laughs> I'll go away with this stranger, this bet, young girl. I don't know. We better get him back to the shore, and also the shops are closing soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but by the by the way, uh, fun fact: the the littlest Brody boy was supposed to be played by Ricky Schroeder, except he was fired from the movie because apparently he was too loyal to Hancock which is one of the great stories of like Universal being a very vindictive company. Apparently the <laughs> like eight-year-old kid who played the youngest Brody was too friendly with director Hancock and so had to be purged 
for the reshoots. Sorry, Jess, are you okay? <laughs> who's who's Christ? <laughs> nobody crosses Sid Sheinberg. Nobody. Who's, who's Ricky Schroeder? Or does nobody Ricky know Sh- now because he he crossed Sheinberg? <laughs> yeah, um, he is. He went on to be. He's a young actor. Well, he was a child actor. He's become kind of like he's popped up in various shows like Twenty Four and that sort of stuff. He was kind of a teenager, obviously during the eighties, and now he is a massive Trump Trump supporter. So you know, it goes various directions. Unfortunately, he's one of that generation of actors. Uh, did he do? Was it Family Ties? What was his <laughs> well, one? Sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, dead right. <laughs> yeah, he was the youngest Golden Globe re- Award recipient and the child star of Silver Spoons. He went on Sorry. to star in Lonesome Dove and NYPD Blue. And obviously, yes, as, as we said, he can politely go screw himself. Um, all right, then. Well, but, once he was once he was just an, 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 an eight-year-old. <laughs> an innocent eight-year-old boy yeah, yeah. who was loyal to the director of Jaws 2. Um, and he learned some important lessons that day. But, okay, so, He's still, he's still uh, convinced um, <laughs> that that director directed the movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a truther. It's a stop yeah, the steal yeah. of Jaws 2. Exactly, um, yeah. But, um, okay, so, so following on from that, that particular tangential <laughs> conversation... Emma, you mentioned there it it might be on your own personal 250. So here's the question. Is it on your own personal 250? And kind of where would it rank? How many how many Jaws movies are there on there? How many shark movies are there on there? Like Jess, I'm a big shark fan. I'm like, and it, it all starts with Jaws. Like I always think, and I have a really big, I don't have a fear of the water, but I I like sharks are my phobia. And like I know they're gorgeous creatures and humans like are really horrible to them. I get all that, but I am terrified of them. And it is kind of like a chicken or the egg thing. And I think it all came with Jaws. Because I'm pretty sure I watched the first Jaws when I was like four. Um, And I asked my mum about it. I was like, how did I get into it? She was like, oh, well, I loved it. So I was like, I must just watch it with you. So I'd say the third one's not on it. The uh, the, the Jaws 1, 2 and Revenge are definitely on my personal 250. Where they rank, uh, it's hard to know. Jaws 1 is tied with two other films. It's my favourite film of all time. And I'll never change probably until the day I die. Um, and so the second one is definitely in my like top 50 for sure. I love it. And I think it can, I think just because it continues the story so well. And I think it pays, it's such a lovely tribute to such a wonderful character in Brody. The one of like the only nice cops. Like it's, it's kind of nice to watch a cop and be like, oh my God, you're not a murderous prick. This I is mean, so nice. He does kill some innocent bluefish. Like, I mean, there, there are some questionable activities going on here, right? I, 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 I don't know if you found the same watching that scene after like everything that's happened with like the school shooting in Texas recently my mother and I were like oh my god like that scene never hit me as hard as now like could you actually imagine a cop shooting up a beach now like I, like, I used to be like they're so mean to Brody and now I'm like oh no I get it no. I get it <laughs> but to be fair he probably faced more repercussions than most officers who would discharge their <laughs> firearm in that situation to be fair oh completely completely he got off extremely lightly yeah. and I want to I Again, good taste prevents me from making any school shooting related wordplay there. Um, so, yes, yeah, sorry, that was bad sorry. taste and I apologize. No, that was my bad taste. Um, so, Jess, what about yourself? Would this be on your own personal 250? And like, as like a shark or sharksploitation or creature feature expert, like how does Jaws 2 fit in that pantheon for you? So for me, shark films fall into one of two categories it's either about the shark or it's about something else and this film is about 
it's kind of, it has a bit of a friction between the two positions. And that's why I think it's interesting. Andrew, you said earlier, like, does it want me to want the teenagers to die or not? I don't think it quite knows because it's it's kind of almost a slasher film, but then it's not. And it's about Brody when it's about Brody. And then sometimes it isn't. And it kind of, it, it's a bit long as well. And yeah, I, I feel like for me, that's where it kind of, falls down a little bit and that's not quite about the shark but it it's then almost too much about the shark at the same time like because the shark is huge like and you see it so so much and like it's getting injured almost like it's die hard so like are we on the shark side like it's just it, it kind of goes in a lot of different directions and I find all of the directions compelling to be honest in their kind of own right but I think there's there's a lot going on and that's where it kind of doesn't quite work for me like there would be other shark films uh on my list that that beat it out one of the big ones is 47 meters down I find what that does in the kind of misdirection of it really has has stuck with me for such a long time as someone who who does love shark films and who is afraid of the water it's not about the sharks it's about the water it's about the diving uh you know the bends and psychological stuff I just I think that's really done well so yeah this for me I I think it, it doesn't quite make it for me all right. And Andrew, what about yourself? Would it be on your own personal 250 or your own bottom 100? Um, no, I, I I wouldn't put it on um, either. Um, uh, Good movie or bad movie island? No, no, no. no. I, I, um, yeah, it, it's not like a guilty pleasure. It's really not that bad that it, that it, it, it probably doesn't deserve to be in the conversation about kind of... Um, uh, bottom 100 but it's not that great either it just it feels like a kind of a movie um of its time that could could perhaps have been uh, able to kind of sit with the other uh with the with the with the great jaws movie um but no no it wouldn't be on my my own list how about yourself darren what is um i'm 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 sensing the answer is is perhaps no are you going to yeah. surprise me? <laughs> no, no, like... I'm not going to. I'm entirely predictable here. Yeah, this is the thing where like it feels like a movie that is perhaps like it suffers by comparison by being surrounded by the three movies that it's surrounded by, where it will never be as good as the like objectively good Jaws movie. But it's also not as completely off the walls and bonkers and insane like the other two Jaws movies that it's with. It's kind of the Jaws movie that like settles down and marries and like gets a nice mortgage and has a good job and like works its career and everybody says nice enough things about it even if nobody knows that much about its particular interests um that's kind of like what jaws 2 feels like it's a movie that would be like forgotten and erased from history uh and arguably has been if not for the fact that people watch jaws 3 and jaws 4 the revenge and like work backwards and figure out there must be a jaws 2 right like there must be a jaws 2 um, which is maybe a little bit unfair to it, but also at the same yeah. time kind of, sorry. No, yeah, it, it, it does suggest that maybe people should um, uh, re uh, release um, like the fourth movie <laughs> and then have people wondering like, well, what about this second and third movie? Yeah, just um, get people talking, get the gossip. Well, I mean, that was, that was the... Um, did. And, yeah, um, well, I'm glad you went with that because the other famous example is the Bill Cosby movie Leonard Part Six. 
Yeah, there we go. Nothing kills a conversation like mentioning the two words, Bill Cosby. Um, America's dad. I remember him. Um, America's ghost but, dad. America's uh, ghost dad. Yes, now very, very much. But like, yeah, so like it, it, it kind of, it's, it's interesting because it would be a movie that we would not be talking about uh, if we weren't talking about three other movies that are arguably much more worth talking about or like are more perhaps interesting and exciting to talk about if that makes sense which feels like it does this movie a disservice because this movie is i think maybe fine like I, I think there are problems with it but they're not fatal problems but it's also like not bad and it's got interesting stuff in it even if it doesn't cohere into something that's particularly satisfying so yeah i think being stuck in the nether realm between lists is exactly where it should be and emma if listeners have not seen jaws 2 and if they are following along with our shark week coverage would you recommend that they pause the podcast and kind of stream this to a local device or see this on a local device i guess because it's a it's a saltwater creature oh yeah a hundred percent do a big marathon watch all four like you can't can't just watch Jaws. I re- no, of course Jaws is its own perfect film, but I really would recommend watching two, three, and four. Two is a great continuation, especially if you love Brody, which no one watches Jaws and doesn't like Brody. The second one, yeah, again, a continuation. And third and fourth are just so weird. And you have Michael Caine in the last one, which we'll get into later in the week, but it's all just mental. But yeah, I would. Now, I don't mean like pause right now because there are massive spoilers and if it's spoiled for you you're not going to enjoy it like you know what's going to happen but i think it's a really interesting story and i 100% would recommend it Uh, by the way when you say you know what's going to happen i do love that a lot of the reviews were like it's just a retread of the original jaws and that's what's really disappointing about it we've seen this all before like there's the the opening line of vincent camby's new york times review which like reading it now having like recently watched the most recent jurassic park movie i'm like you don't know what you unleashed onto the world mr camby but the opening line is until great white sharks learn to fly or use automatic weapons or develop their powers of telekinesis, it would seem like Jaws 2 has pretty much exhausted the cinematic possibilities of sharks as man-eating monsters. I'm like, wow, somebody at Universal read that mo- read that line when they were commissioning all the <laughs> Jurassic Park sequels. We're like, what if we had laser-guided dinosaurs? What if taken but with velociraptors? Um... So, I mean, maybe there's something to be said for for kind of simplicity there. But Jess, what about yourself? Like, would you recommend that listeners pause the podcast and watch Jaws too? Yeah, like, I, I feel like I agree with Emma. Like, it's not urgent, but um, I definitely think that it does enough and it says enough um, that it is worthy of watching. Not even just as a Jaws film, not even just um, for the kind of Brody side of it, but just as a shark film. Like, I think that's an interesting review considering, you know, we get a new shark film every few years there is definitely scope there i think it's almost like something it it speaks to our lizard brain i think it it got a hook in there we're terrified of it it's something prehistoric i think that we, we just can't get over we can't get let go of and i think it's interesting that the kind of two big ones are sharks and crocodiles because those are such old animals and i think that that that's definitely an element to it. So no, I, I definitely think it is worth watching. And it does do interesting things. And it does a little bit of bonkers stuff that we'll talk about. I'll, I'll talk about anyway on the other side of the spoiler zone. But like, I do think it, it kind of does enough to kind of shock you or surprise you that, yeah, it's definitely worth watching. All right, then. And, and Andrew, what about yourself? Do you recommend that listeners watch Jaws too? I would, I would. Like, in, in spite of that kind of previous review, which does point out that 
this um this jaws uh, doesn't um disco dance or kung fu fight or any of those things but it it's a shark you know it's a great <laughs> white shark it's terrifying and um and 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 we get to um we get to see it and um you know have 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 um have it battle us and have us battle it um and that's kind of com- com- compelling enough and I, I'd agree with this. I, I watched this over the weekend. I kind of sat down and watched it. It was nice to, to visit it. And I hadn't seen it. Uh, I have I haven't seen that many of the kind of like that wave of kind of 70s sequels that we haven't come up with the podcast. So obviously I've seen Heretic Exorcist 2. I've seen Godfather 2, obviously, like everybody else. But I haven't seen, say, French Connection 2, for example. And it was nice to kind of sit down and just watch like a sequel to one of the greatest movies of all time. That's all right, I guess. Like it's it's. You know, it's it's not bad, um, and it's got a good performance in it, and it reminds me of this thing that I like, and I haven't seen it before. And it's kind of like in an in a modern age where sequels are so absurdly like steroided and like escalated and heightened and like pushed to the nth degree and franchised. There was something like appealingly simplistic about Jaws 2 as a sequel, where I didn't feel like the film was positioning me for a Brody Bros spin-off uh, starring the two youngest kids or anything like that. Although we'll get to that when we talk about Jaws 3D. So yeah, I, I, I would wholeheartedly recommend it. With that in mind, then we will segue neatly into the spoiler zone. So, Jess, what is Jaws 2 about for you? That's a good question. And I feel like it's a difficult one to answer because I don't think it knows. I think it's about a few different things. And and I think it makes sense when you're saying, Darren, all of the kind of issues that the production was having. I think, you know, you can definitely see you see that playing out. You see that in action because it's about so many things it is about the shark and you have Brody kind of allude to interesting things where he's like trying to get into the mind of the shark and like who is this shark (laughs) which is weird um it also goes into Brody's mind and his state of mind and you know he's still kind of dealing with the events of the first film and it's kind of strange that although the town is still dealing with the kind of you know financial burden other than that, everyone seems over it. They're like, oh, why is what's wrong with Brody? Like, why is he so traumatized? And it's like, didn't a bunch of you like lose people? Like, a lot of people died. And it's only four years and it's a small town. Like, you know, they don't get over these things that quickly. It's, it's kind of interesting. Jess, counterpoint to that, I would argue, is that we are still arguably in the middle of a global pandemic that I think a significant portion of the population seem to have forgotten ever happened. Maybe. If we're being cynical, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, I suppose that's true. It's an interesting Maybe one. Ricky, Sh- <laughs> Ricky Schroeder was perfect casting in some senses. Sorry. Maybe he was set on that path. Maybe if he had been allowed to be in the film, <laughs> it's created an alternate universe. But yeah, I, I think it's a hard one. It's kind of, it's, it's, it's not sure who it's about. It's about the teens. It's about the shark. It's about Brody. It's about Brody's wife. It's, it's everybody and, and kind of then nobody. I think that's why it's not a stronger film. I think if it had kind of chosen a direction, maybe stronger, it would have been a better film. Are you, are you, are you still talking about COVID-19, Darren? It's all, <laughs> it's monkeypox now, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yep, sorry, one 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 pandemic, one global pandemic at a time. Um yeah, sorry, I'm Brody here standing up on the like waving my gun on the beach here. I think this movie um, is about monkeypox. Cl- clearly clearly it is. Well, okay, okay, Andrew, because you goaded me, we're going to do this. This is your fault. I want you to, I want you to know this is happening because of you. My crazy pitch on Jaws 2, to bring it back to the Brody stuff, is that, like, Jaws is a movie about Vietnam. We talked about it. How Jaws is a movie that is about a version of America celebrate, celebrating its bicentenary, like, washed up in patriotism and its belief in its own exceptionalism, that sends its youngest overseas to die, to be fed into the maw of some monstrous creature that is living off the shores of America and is insisting on pretending that everything is absolutely fine. It's a, it's a Vietnam movie. Darren says, like, hoping that nobody will call him out on how completely absurd that argument is. But I do think there is some argument to support that. And I think if you're making an argument... If you, you know, <laughs> if, 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 if you let the sharks take over the lighthouse, soon, soon, soon they'll take over Amity and then the rest yeah. of the United States. Yeah, it might seem like it is, <laughs> like, there, like there's, like we should just leave the uh, shark alone. But, like, that's just um, appeasement, I guess. <laughs> yeah, right right there. Um, so, you know, I mean, and you could argue, obviously, Quint is like a private contractor who's been sent over initially as an instructor. And then all of a sudden he's joined on the boat by like a representative of like the armed forces. And Quint all is definitely the CIA a- because he, he <laughs> like, like destroys the kind of like communications and tries to make it like a black op. Um, <laughs> um, people anyway, at home so- can't know about this. Yeah. So, you know, just, you know, we don't want pictures of those bodies in the paper and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, okay, so let, let's let's accept that, like, somewhat stretching read of the original <laughs> Jaws, as, as is, right? Jaws 2 is kind of interesting because you can then extrapolate from that and it becomes a story, arguably, about a Vietnam veteran dealing with trying to come back to society and trying to reassimilate, where, like... It is very clear watching Jaws 2 that Brody is not okay in any real sense. I mean, even like at the first inkling of the shark showing up when there's trouble on the water, he's already smoking several cigarettes a day and drinking coffee like long before his breakfast is ready. Um, An inappropriate amount. Yeah, yes, yes, indeed he is. And like he's he's preparing like special poison weaponry in his office and stuff like that, like with little <laughs> syringes filled with poison to concoct these elaborate devices he's firing randomly into the crowd he becomes erratic and, and unreliable yeah. he, and he, he, he is like guns and poison at home but he's afraid of <laughs> sharks <laughs> like, yeah. like, no we need guns and poison to protect ourselves against sharks <laughs> and 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 we've talked about this like we talked about this when we talked about platoon the idea that like american pop culture was not quite ready to talk about vietnam for quite a while afterwards i mean again as this came out you had like a trio of vietnam movies that were coming out testing the water you had like coming home with john voight and with jane fonda you had obviously like apocalypse now directed by francis ford coppola and you had like michael Cimino's the deer hunter which is the movie that like roy scheider kind of walked away from and it's kind of ironic that like the deer hunter is this story about like people who come home from war completely changed and scheider kind of walks away from it and makes jaws too which is a movie about a guy who walked away from jaws like completely changed and traumatized by what had happened to him but outside of that like america was largely not ready to have that conversation yet and as you get towards the end of the 70s and you push into the 80s you have this idea of like america kind of recovering from traumas like vietnam watergate recessions and kind of wanting to just like believe in american exceptionalism again and this idea again of like the shining
shiny 80s in the future. The idea that Amityville is going to, or Amity, sorry, is going to be developed. It's going to, like, have massive investment. It's going to build itself up again. It's going to be a new capital. It's going to be a center of attention. Money's going to pour in. And all you have to do is just pretend that nothing terrible ever happened here again. And, like, while that's happening, you have, like, Brody, who is this traumatized, shaken, PTSD-riven survivor of this horrible, horrible thing that happened that nobody on the island's going to talk about. And again, it's worth noting that, like, Jaws 2 does come back to that idea of trauma repeatedly like when they fish the girl out of the boat like there's this real emphasis on the idea that like she has survived but what she has survived will change her forever and will leave her permanently scarred by the experience which again feels very much like it's getting at that idea that you know vietnam while it might be over in the context of you know 1978 is still something that like the the consciousness is going to have to deal with even if, you know, Brody goes to these meetings with these people who have lost family members, who have seen people die, who are on the beach on that day in Jaws, but all of whom aren't like, oh, no, 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 it would never happen again. It happened one time, the odds against are slim. They're like, no, it could never happen. There could never be a shark. I feel so, like he's he's probably survived several. That the, the, <laughs> the shark in Jaws was um, a kind of a, 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 a re-traumatizing for him of 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 something that happened in New York I think yeah um, when 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 he was a police officer there so I I I think like he he's kind of went to Amity to escape escape that yeah the like cuz nothing happens in 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 Amity um and um he he can you know look forward to um you know having um a small town um uh, part part time cop is is, is it, there. There are some descriptions of the movie where he's given as a part time sheriff. It feel it feels like um like it is a full time job, right? I think he's just obsessive. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like the job is meant to be like twenty hours a week, but for some reason he's hanging around his desk for eight. Shirks. Yes. <laughs> It's, it's like, like well, you, you, what? If I have a permit for the march next. Sharks. He's like a volunteer kind of deputy. <laughs> People are like, go home. Yeah, we're not. The the town isn't even paying you. You made your own uniform, Mister well, Brody. The, <laughs> the perspective of the movie might just be um, uh, Brody's. You know. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I do like a lot of people have made the point that like Mayor Larry Vaughn presumably survived an election cycle, like in like the four or five years between the two movies. Like presumably he's been reelected by the populace of Amity after the events of Jaws. Because well, he's like, I killed the shark. What do you want? <laughs> yeah, I always wanted to get the beaches back open. That was my only thing. <laughs> that was and, my one uh, plank. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and plus... I I I I have this blazer with uh, with little anchors on it, <laughs> which is which is dashing. Um, <laughs> but like like I kind of I love how the movie leans into like how intense Schneider Schneider is as kind of Brody, where it's like things like again like making the poison bullets and kind of like covering it with like a little uh, towel when like his deputy comes in, <laughs> like he's been caught with something he shouldn't have. Um, and the sequence where the deputy is like, I'm going to turn on the light in the room. And Brody's like, oh, do you see that big box there? Pay attention to the big box there with the camera in it. But like, I, I like how the movie kind of leans into this kind of idea of him being unhinged to the point where you're like, 
yes, I know objectively this is a sequel to Jaws. And yes, I know that, like, objectively uh, he's presenting reasonable evidence of, like, a a photograph of a shark. But also, I'm like, if I was in that room, I'm not entirely sure I'd be swayed to vote against taking away his gun at the very least. Um, Would you you be certain that that's a photo of a shark? I don't, I don't, I, yeah, I can fair. understand that people wouldn't. <laughs> um, I, that's my favorite scene in this film. And I think it's, it's definitely one, one of the stronger moments where he's slowly waiting for that photo to develop. Yeah. And you have had all of that relationship of like the doll's eyes and the eye being so important. And it's like, oh God, I'm right. Cause I don't think he even actually wants to be right. I think he, in, in the kind of, lead up to that I think he is a little bit even himself like is this me am I the drama like are they all right and then it's that moment where he's like oh no and they're not gonna believe me I mean can I can I throw this out there like I think this is where I worry that I'm being a bit mean to the film and I'm particularly being a bit mean to the director uh Janos Schwark um who is again stepped in at the last minute and kind of like did the best that he could under the circumstances and many of the issues are not his fault because he didn't necessarily have the freedom to make the choices around them but things like his choice to like shoot the shark so much of the shark the movie shows so much of the shark so early and so frequently mm. and again Schwark has talked about this in interviews where he's like, I did that because I was following Spielberg. And if I did what Jaws did, which was withholding the shark and making you wait for the shark, I kind of like just limiting how much you saw the shark. They just accused me of copying Spielberg. So I really had no other option but to go. It's a shark movie. Here's the shark. We're going to put the cat. Like at one stage, I believe the camera operator like rode the shark. Yeah. Like he put a saddle on the shark. So he could ride it with the camera, like riding on it as it approaches the flotilla. Um, And like, there's a point where you're like, I I get why you did that, but you can't do that. And also have a psychological story about how maybe Brody's losing his mind. This movie can't spend 10 minutes at the start assuring me that the shark is more real than it was in the original Jaws, while also like trying to give me the psychological drama of a man unraveling. Is that fair to say for me, I think? Well, no, I think, I always think it's interesting. And this film could have gone in such a different way. It could have been this whole psychological David Fincher-esque film where you're like, is Brody like going mad? Is there a shark? But it doesn't do that because the film doesn't try to drive a wedge between the audience and Brody. We are always on Brody's side and the film establishes that from the second it comes on. There's no doubt in our in our mind that Brody is wrong and it's because we love Brody and we trust him and we know he is a good cop. But, and I think, I, I think he's right. If you try to do the whole like not showing the shark, which happened by accident because Bruce didn't work like the robot we all know that that I think showing the shark and also like you know the big scar in his face and you know I think it's it's fun and it's interesting but I think that showing the shark so much is this re- it's like there's a lot of dramatic irony in this film and the, like you're you really are sitting on the edge of your seat you want to scream at the mirror you want to scream at everyone being like Brody is right and it does that with such to such great effect because it shows the shark so much it's almost it's, like it's like look it's <laughs> right <laughs> there it's, it's right it, and it's, yeah it's absolutely massive and I hate the way they keep referring to it and it's definitely that shark it's definitely this one shark because it's got this big defining scar yeah. yeah exactly Exactly, exactly. It's like rubbing our faces in it. But yeah, no, I, th- I think it's I think it does it quite well. And I like the fact that you see a lot of the shark. It's fun. And I'm pretty sure 
the new director, his first scene was the water skiing scene, which I think is brilliant. The whole chase. Now, it's obviously a motor because like the shark is issue going out. I don't know what what kilometers sharks travel per hour but it's obviously like a lot faster in the film but I think it's great I think it's scary and it's exciting and you know the whole like not showing the monster is a great tool but following up again in a sequel it just completely loses its effect and it becomes boring and tired I I think it's it's more oh sorry no I was going to say like like this movie does um maybe risk becoming boring in 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 that it feels like there 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 is a lot at the beginning and then it 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 kind of um uh, withholds for a while which which would like if you were being kind you're like oh that's it re-establishing tension but it's very difficult to get tension back i guess yeah, once once, you've once shown it, yeah yeah um and, and i mean I do think that like we are meant to be a little bit wary of Brody. Like I, I think we obviously we know there's a shark. We have paid money to see a movie called Jaws 2. As cool as it would be for like Jaws 2 to be the twist at the end, be there's no shark. Come back in Jaws 3. We promise there'll be a shark then. Like we know that there's going to be a shark here. Brody's going to be right. But I think that like I think Scheider's really good. Like I think he's a really good actor. And I think the movie pushes it far enough that you're like, yeah, this this guy should not have a gun. Um, at the very least yeah. uh, like when he's firing like at the beach and like you could see obviously the shape is there but you could see there's a child like close <laughs> enough to the line of sight where he's firing his like candle damage. Yeah. we can't have this shark <laughs> yeah. it's like I mean sharks kill more people than cops do it's it's just statistics right um I mean, we, we we chalk that death up as an accident, logically. But like, yeah, it's like his candle wax and like cyanide tipped bullets are like being fired into the ocean. That does feel like the audience is meant to go, you know, look, maybe, maybe Brody needs to like chill, maybe pop a Xanax a little bit, just relax, kind of kick back. I, I don't know if we're meant to be entirely 100% behind Brody all of the way here. I, I, I would kind of say, but I, I, I think that's kind of interesting. And yeah, that the shark itself is, is kind of cool. Do we like, I love that the movie, and I think kind of Jess alluded to this when she was like, and you know, Brody tries to get into the head of the shark. It's kind of, like, it's hilarious in hindsight, like knowing where the franchise goes in like Jaws 4, that like Brody's like, look, a, sh- a shark wouldn't like talk to another shark and like, <laughs> like bring it back or something like that that would be insane right sharks don't take things personally mr brody (laughs) which is kind of kind of hilarious in hindsight but like do we do we know again stuff that got lost in the various drafts of this a rich apparently the shark was meant to be the offspring of the original man eater that was the twist it was going to be the child of the shark from Jaws. But they don't want to do that because they don't want to admit that the first film revolved around a dead, a badass woman. And everyone knows that female great whites get bigger. Only females can go 25 feet, which Quinn says is the size of the first shark. No, because it's misogynistic. But yeah, I'm convinced every shark in Jaws, all, all four of them are women. But they don't want to say that. Ex- sorry, ladies. Exactly. But they don't want to admit that, do they? Um, And like, like just, just to underscore this... um. Like, people this, who think women is... are terrible probably are are also able to to, to, to believe that the shark is, <laughs> that all sharks are women um, <laughs> I'd say very fair point it's, are you anti anti woman pro shark anti woman anti shark pro shark pro woman uh, they're like it's a spectrum it's, it's, you can fall across on multiple ways um uh, 
But like, it is worth noting, like, and again, this is something I read, so you have to hear this, um, <laughs> because it can't exist alone in my ears, or in my brain. Great. But Hank Searle's Jaws 2 novelization, uh, which is the one that kind of like, it was based off earlier drafts of the script, so it had various elements in it that, that were like removed from the movie as it went on. And kind of Emma was quite right, actually, because Emma pointed out that this is arguably closer to Peter Benchley's original novel than the original Jaws is. Um, and like originally, like there was going to be a subplot about the mafia buying up Amity, uh, yeah. which is again a very Benchley esque plot. It's like, we're, so what do you want in your shark movie? We got na- mafia, we got real <laughs> estate investment, we got a gratuitous affair, uh, we got all this stuff. I was like, yeah, but what about the shark? And the shark's in there too. It'll be fine. Um, but apparently, yeah, it was going to originally involve like the mafia buying up property and like buying up debt and amity it was going to be like a major plot point here, which is great because I kind of want the mob versus shark movie that would result from that. Um, but apparently, yes. Um, so that is just like a, that- kind of a, a sort of a Trumpy guy, I guess. He's <laughs> <laughs> just a kind of, you know, a, a regular kind of um, rich asshole who wants to build a condo. That's- that's fair, yeah, because that, that is kind of where it ends up. And he just kind of disappears. And, like, there's no real mention. And you're like, wait, did they build the condos or did they not build the condos? I I, I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait until Jaws 4 to see what happens there. Um, but, like, yeah, so he has, like, there, one grotesque and alternate and alternately fascinating literal interpretations of procreation this uh, inexperienced adolescent boy had ever tried to envision. This is from Hank Searle's Jaws 2 novelization. The shark inserted, and I quote here, his salami-shaped claspers in her twin vents, leading the shark to be born, following the shark to return to the waters from where it was born like some sort of salmon. So yeah, that is, that is apparently the motivation of the shark in Jaws 2. To avenge its mother. To, to avenge its mothers as a result of the insertion of salami-shaped claspers into twin vents. What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is that... The 70s was such a weird time. The 70s were a very strange time. Is that how sharks... So glad. Party. That um, is a shark's party. That is okay. a shark party, how that shark happens. But yeah, so it is the story about a shark coming back. But, but I, I mean, I like... <laughs> Um, I'm I'm a fan of salami. <laughs> like that. Anyway, sorry. Um, I kind of then love it going after Brody's children specifically. Oh yeah, because <laughs> it's literally. I just I want Jaws the next generation. That would have been awesome. Yeah. No, it's like look, it, it's not. We're not quite at like Jaws the revenge level of like planning going on <laughs> from the shark here, but it does feel like the shark has a methodology. It does feel that like we're waiting for a scene where like if Hooper were here, he'd be like there'd be a whiteboard and there'd be like diagrams and there'd be like the shark has a motive. Yeah. Um, but because it's Brody, it's just like no, I've got guns and poison. <laughs> I think I think maybe the shark was expecting that the children would also like be big <laughs> and stuff, <laughs> like waiting for them to be worthy of the challenge. And it's like they're still small. I mean, the bigger one is kind of like nearly as big as 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 as, as Brody, but they 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 don't really present the same challenge. Um, immediately unconscious it's like <laughs> yes what do you want me to do here uh, and and emma what is what is jaws 2 about for you what's your big kind of read on jaws 2 as a, as a film uh, to quote jamie lee curtis it's a film about trauma for sure and like really yeah the whole subtext of like yeah ptsd trauma 
But then it's also, like, again, two acts. The first one, again, trauma, PTSD. It is so frustrating that no one else is like, like, literally, when Alex Kittner gets absolutely, like, mutilated, everyone's there. Like, that is traumatizing. And then Michael, in the first film, gets, you know, put into shock because the shark literally glides past him. And everyone's like, three years later, like, oh, whatever, I'm going to go sailing. Like, I would never get in the water again. But it's also completely a film about redemption. That's it. Like, in the last, like, in the final act, you don't really, all you care about is Brody, yeah, saving his children, but clearing his name. And it is kind of annoying that you don't get that scene <laughs> where everyone's like, you, you know, well done, Brody, thank you for saving the day. You were right all along. But it's almost as if Brody doesn't need that because Brody isn't doing this to clear his name he's doing it for the greater good I, we want Brody to be redeemed but he just wants to save the day I do you mean, know what I mean like what do we think happens after the end of this because like Brody comes back to land with a bunch of impressionable kids who are horribly traumatized probably not reliable witnesses Brody has oh, managed to like destroy Cable Junction and cut off like presumably power to all of Amity Island as a result of the police boat which he stole. Oh, yeah. And, the, and in, in the midst of all this, the helicopter that he called down has been destroyed. Um, so, like, what do oh, we think Jesus, is yeah. what do we think is waiting for Brody when he gets to land? Like, it's a like condo. a shark did it. Yeah. You're going to give him a condo. <laughs> to, 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 um, it's like, yeah, the, um, to congratulate him. Yeah. <laughs> There's a big party done. when he gets there. Like, is that why Brody doesn't come back for any of the other films? Because he's in prison. Prison. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry, Emma's, think... Emma's face. I feel like I just ruined Jaws 2 for Emma. <laughs> no, I, 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 I was actually trying to think what happened after. And I was looking at the deleted scenes. And I thought it really important. There's a few deleted scenes, but the most important one, which you probably know, is the vote. Yeah. And the council take the vote of should Brody be fired? And everyone votes that he should be, except one, the mayor. And it's so annoying because I do think is a Murray Hamilton great, yeah. like great performance. I really gets above the title billing here again, which is great. Yeah, um, like he's. A, I think he's fantastic in it. I, but it's so important to know that. Sorry, Andrew. I feel no, no, no. I'm sorry. Um, I feel like he is kind of a bit traumatized, and I feel like there is a kind of a conflict within um, uh, that character. Yeah. Well, he's visibly shaking, like, at various points. And yeah. that he's kind of on the side of Scheider to an extent. Um, or that they've been kind of to war together. Pretty much on the same side. <laughs> like, kind, <laughs> More or less. Of. More or less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This um, is, can I throw in a total tangent? Okay, but I absolutely. think it's actually what you said was really interesting. Have you ever seen that film, Mysterious Skin, uh, um, with, by Greg Araki and with Joseph Gordon-Levitt? No, actually, for myself. Okay, I had to study in college. It's basically just about how people deal with trauma and it's these two boys and they go through something really horrific and it kind of chronicles how they deal with it differently. And one of them goes in complete denial and kind of creates this really weird alien theory in his head about what happened to him, where the other one kind of exercise it in a more human but kind of more gritty way and i think that's really interesting i think that's reflected in how the mayor what's his name larry vaughn senior larry vaughn thank you obviously wouldn't have your vote i think the next time right (laughs) but how they how they deal with trauma is that brody kind of becomes almost obsessed by it but then the mayor i forget larry is goes into denial and i think that's a really interesting kind of parallel of how two people can go through the same event but come out of it so differently and i quite like it as well because i think it's also consistent with their characters like we know how the mayor 
reacted in the first one and I think it's realistic that he would because he's not a f- it's not a flat no he's just like there's not evidence to like specifically definitely say that it was definitely a shark so he's like until we have evidence you know whereas Brody's m- much more like he's seeing them everywhere it's like ghost shark he, there's a ghost in his fucking coffee it's like he can't you know they're everywhere so yeah, I, th- I think it's definitely, it's consistent with both of their characterization in a way that I quite appreciate, because you don't often get that in sequels that will kind of, you know, burn what's come before, whereas th- this film doesn't, it, it kind of leans into who they were. Bro- Brody is definitely at home, like kind of making his mashed potato into... In the shape uh, of a shark. <laughs> into shape yeah. of a shark, yeah. <laughs> And doesn't realize until his wife points it out to him. He's just like, "Oh, oh, sorry, yeah, no, that was just just idly, I'm, just idly." I'm impressed. You, you should like, you should do. Uh, you should be a you chef should, or something. Yeah. We could open a restaurant. That's gonna be like the signature dish. Just that you serve this kind of like sharked potatoes. Um, but like, yeah, and I think like something that's kind of come up a couple of times that's maybe kind of interesting to talk about is the like the the sexy young teens getting brutally eaten by the shark aspect of this because again this is a movie that and i think uh like emma mentioned it there when she talked about like quoting jamie lee curtis and saying it's about trauma which has become like the byline for any modern movie that you want to make sound important but in particular has become like a byline for horror sequels it's a particular trend in modern horror sequels where what you do is you take the characters who have been through the horrific first slasher movie and then the second slasher movie is about how the first slasher movie really messed them up and left them fundamentally scarred as a person and so like it's obviously there in the recent halloween sequels you could say it's there in like rob zombies halloween 2 for example scream 2 all these sorts of movies and it's kind of interesting that like jaws 2 comes out the same year as like john carpenter's halloween and like this is a point where it isn't yet a cliche to have a bunch of like young drunken horny idiot teens going somewhere where they shouldn't and becoming victims of like some sort of monstrous force that (laughs) wants to punish them for doing stuff that teenagers do um but it somehow ends up becoming a movie that is is about that sorry andrew no, no, I, I just find it interesting that you, you had that in the first film, but just it, it felt like As a, a more judicious yeah. kind of use of it. And that yeah, it, like that, it was just like, a small detail, yeah. Yeah, it felt kind of subtle or something, where there, there's, there's a sense in which you're wondering... Obviously like, the famous opening scene with the woman's attacked, yeah. Exactly, and, and the, the, I, I think there was like a, a band, kind of a poster for it as well, wasn't there? Or, or certainly like... They had like protested against it, wasn't there nudity? And I think it was released in some countries with like nudity on the poster. But yeah, where 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 it's kind of subtle enough where you can you, you can uh, kind of think about it, but it doesn't take over. But I don't think I I, I don't think Jaws two is kind of sexy in an interesting way though. Um, yeah, I mean that's something I do find kind of weird watching this because it it's a sequel to a Spielberg film, and we've kind of talked about this on the podcast before where spielberg is like a weirdly not weirdly that that sounds unfair um and judgy but like a largely sexless director to the point where like when he does include a sex scene in something like munich it becomes really uncomfortable in ways that are arguably intentional but also like so surreal that they become almost magic as a result they cut the sex scene um they're in the in the screenplay for et 
there was like a lengthy sex scene, but the, uh, Spielberg that's what wasn't Javier Bardem was really kind of drawn to when he talked about how ET was his first crush. Um, <laughs> but like, no, no, but like, I mean, like, I was just we've I was spoken about t- this a lot. We, we have actually spoken several times about Javier Bardem's crush on ET. Um, it's a it's a niche that we keep coming back to. It's the gift that just keeps giving. Um, but like, it it watching Jaws too, like sitting down at the weekend and watching it for the first time, and it it was really unusual because it was something unconscious but it was like this is a much sleazier film in some ways like the opening sequence where Brody kind of races to go to the opening of the convention center or the hotel and there's like a sexy lady in a bikini and she's kind of cutting the cord and I'm watching that and it's like I hadn't registered but it's like that Spielberg that would not be a scene in a Spielberg film or and if it was it wouldn't be shot like that and also Brody catcalling her and she's a minor yeah yeah yeah, no, that's the seventies for you, but yeah, that, that is the seventies. It's a very seventies vibe, but it's not a seventies Spielberg yeah. vibe. Sorry, I, I think I think that's him kind of getting the like the way the way that like I kind of thought that at first, but there 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 was kind of um, it felt like when I saw the interaction between him and Ellen, kind of like amongst the, that it felt like he was kind of like just kind of getting into the town spirit or something. Yeah, because she's delighted. She kind of smiles at him. Yeah, yeah. That that, that mm. there is this kind of like, oh, um, like that, that's um, like, I, I don't know. Like like the whole kind of beauty pageant thing. He's being thing. present. Like he's, yeah. you know, he's, he's not just there because she kind of says to him, like, you know, pretend you've been here the whole time. Like he's kind of. Yeah. So like, exactly. what's that mean? Be bored. Yeah, that, that, yeah. Like you're bored out of your skull. But like, I mean, even even in terms of, say, the beach scenes, there are like several gratuitous shots of like women in bikinis, like in particular, like the derrieres of women in their bikinis, where I'm like, this is not how I remember beach scenes in Jaws looking, uh, which is I know. kind of uncomfortable. So it's kind of it's kind of interesting that it's like as soon as Spielberg leaves, the studio is like, yeah, we can we can we can kind of get this stuff in here. This is what this movie is kind of going to be. And as you said, like the, the emphasis on the teenagers as well, where we spend a lot of time with the it's teenagers. Not, it's not especially and a lot of, not, last hour. Yeah. It's not especially no, he, titillating, though, like even yeah, even the fair. kind yeah. of butt shots. You know, it's sort of like it's like they. No, no one has sex. Yeah. Like you don't you don't get see any of the good stuff, and like you know, it, it, like you're just told that like Tina and Eddie are really horny, but like it's fairly PG. Oh no! Like, you, I, 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 the I, I, shark I, I, actually interrupts <laughs> it, so it's like not like a, a slasher. It's yeah. like he he act, you know stops it's it. Not, exactly. But I what I really took away from the whole you know the whole like teenagers are killed for their sins is that if you actually look at the kind of the bigger group the only two people that die are Marge who sacrifices herself for Sean she jumps in after him and she gets killed and the only other one who gets attacked is your one praying you know she's like you know it's like a very poignant moment and she's praying to God and she gets attacked so the only two really great women who are seen as moral they're the ones that get attacked and I always find that really interesting that's fair um, but I, yeah, I do like the shark. The shark does interrupt the sexy time on the boat, though, as, as Jess said, where it's, it's that kind of thing where it's like, bring the blanket because uh, I can't turn up with bruises um, while I'm holding, by the way, the Coke cup. I, I did notice that there's... Oh, uh, yeah, uh, multiple shots of those two Coke cups. It's <laughs> very strange. Even in the middle of the ocean, they somehow managed to always yeah, find their like, angles. Yeah, look at them. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, Which, is that a good advertisement? Like... <laughs> 
Mental. He's dead. She's traumatized. It's a good time. Drink in the summer. Yeah. There, 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 it, it does feel like, like, uh, how, how many days does this take place in? Like, like we, we established that, like, Jaws does waste food. You know, did, did, he's not eating these people because he's hungry. Well, the fact that they find any remains of it, the fact the orca washes up on the beach, for example, that's a waste of food right there. Because it's well, just yeah, rotting. The, yeah, the... the, the, the um, uh, what's her name? Um, Diane, who gets blown up in a boat explosion. Yeah, I didn't even go near her. <laughs> I feel like She's that would cooked. be tastier She's than... Exactly. And he's like, eh. <laughs> And again, um, like again, the Vietnam comparison of the burnt bodies, not to labor that point too heavily, but I think it's there. Uh, but anyway, and things like, yeah, the fact that the, the giant explosion that happens. I love, by the way, that the shark I gets scarred. Yeah. I love the explosion. It's fantastic. I love how early it is as well. Yeah. I think it sets like a very different tone. It's like, yes. this is going to be a different film. Yeah. And then you get the helicopter yes. and I'm on board. I was just like... Yeah. yeah, the shark it's the fun. shark defeating the helicopter is definitely like a sequel moment. It's a moment of sequel escalation. It's like when you hear like what Spielberg like wanted Jurassic Park to eventually evolve to, which was dinosaurs strapped to rockets. And it's like he, he's never given any context for that. He's never explained like what the rockets were doing, where they were pointed, where they were going, why the dinosaurs were strapped to them. But it was like, no, my vision was always going to be dinosaurs strapped to rockets. And it's like I'm really disappointed you didn't stick with the movie long enough, the franchise long enough to realize your vision, Stephen. Does do we think that's that's the shark image that he has that he wants to use in a future Jaws sequel, a shark strapped to a rocket? Is that the possibly like Spielberg's great idea that he's just keeping um, for later on? I mean, I hope so. Um, oh. Take all my money. I'd see that in a heartbeat. <laughs> but like we mentioned, like the Coke cups, it's worth noting that like, again, and again, this is one of the Jaws to the one of the most quietly influential movies that nobody ever talks about is that like, obviously this came out after Jaws. It came out the year after Star Wars as well. And like, this was the point at which product placement began to be a big deal in movies because movies were generally seen as a disposable medium. So like big companies that were trying to sell stuff weren't that interested in getting stuff into movies because they wouldn't be seen in circulation regularly. In particular, like they were more interested in television where you were pumped into homes like every day at a certain time for a week. So if characters on I Love Lucy were using your product, audiences would see that product and would see it continuously and it would be reinforced. However, after the success of like Jaws and Star Wars, they discovered that Movies could stay in cinemas for long times, for months and months on end, and audiences would just keep going to see them. So, like, Jaws 2, like, got this huge promotional kind of licenses coming off the back of it, where, like, toy companies had to scramble at the success of, like, Jaws, where, like, you had 50 or 60, 60 licensees, like, but they they attached to Jaws after the film was released, where the toy company didn't come up with a Jaws game until months after the movie was released. And then we talked about on Star Wars, where demand for Star Wars toys ended up being so great and so surpassing, like, the estimates, that they sold empty boxes with vouchers in them. So that when you got a toy, a Star Wars toy for Christmas in 1977, you got an empty box and a little piece of paper that said, we owe you one hand solo action figure. And that was your Christmas present uh, in like Christmas 1977. Talk about trauma. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like with Jaws 2, Jaws 2 was the first movie where they were like, okay, we're actually prepared for this. We're getting in on the ground floor. We're going to have like Jaws plushies ready to go. Uh, so scale models, plush snakes, clothing, toys, 
pillowcases, ice creams, Coca-Cola cans, uh, and a famously model, you could build a scale model of Brody's truck. You get like a scale <sighs> model of Brody's truck from Jaws 2 that you could build as a kind of a licensed tie-in, which is great. And as we mentioned in the movie, obviously a lot of the beachware was like promotional beachware. But yes, you noticed all of the Coke products that they were drinking and consuming. Constantly. And the cereal. Yep. Yes. This cereal yeah. is, you have Cheerios. I don't want Cheerios. Do you want Cheerios? I'm like, oh, I get it. I know it's called Cheerios. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> The, the headline from the New York Times is when Jaws 2 swims into 500 theaters on Friday, it will be dragging behind it more t-shirts, bubblegum cards, beach towels, coloring books, and loaves of sliced white bread, which is the one that really interests me, than any other movie in the history of the medium. And I'm like, I want the Jaws slice pan. I want to be at oh, the yeah. shop and to be like, my options are I can have like a Mooney's Mooney's and a, a Johnson Johnson and O'Brien or a Mooney's slice pan. Or the Jaws bread. I want the Jaws if bread. If there's not like a bite out of it, I don't want to know. Your unsuccessful um, uh, bread tie-in hasn't, hasn't like um, made, made you jaded, uh, Dan Mooney. Um, no, no. I'm, 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 I think, I think, I think, that's I think, Johnson I think, and O'Brien's fault. Yeah, they, they really let me down. I feel like they didn't do their share of kind of the weight. But in terms of, of other stuff, in terms of stuff about Jaws 2, so scenes, characters, moments, themes, anything we haven't talked about already, anything jumping out at, say, Emma and Jess, anything you guys want to talk about with regards to the movie, anything that we we haven't discussed? I quite appreciated that it didn't try to do the dolly zoom moment again. Mm. I kind of feel like the scene that I was talking about in where the photo is developing, it accomplishes a similar thing but without like just being like here it is again um so I quite appreciated that it didn't do that because it would be an easy thing to do but I think it would have been quite cheap and and I wouldn't have appreciated it so much yeah that's that's the kind of thing where I find myself kind of torn when it comes to, to movie sequels where it's like where a movie original movie is directed by a very stylized director like say to pick a recent example the Top Gun movie where Tony Scott is or was a director who had a very distinct style in 1986 where it was all like sweaty male bodies and, and beautiful sunsets and aviator sunglasses and all this sort of stuff. And it's like when you're making a sequel to that, do you either lean into it or do something different? And it one of my issues or aesthetic issues with Maverick is that it tries to have the best of both to a certain extent where you get moments like the beach volleyball and you get moments like aviator sunglasses and the opening sequences are set at that golden hour but none of the rest of the movie really is outside of the football game um, and I'm like well pick a lane either do it cleanly or don't do it and I, I find myself kind of I kind of agree with Jess that I like the fact that it doesn't like just steal all of Spielberg's like camera movements and do that thing where like like again recently in in Jurassic World Dominion they do the moment where a character sees something and walks towards it and takes off her sunglasses and just kind of gasps and it's like it's that shot from the movie that we're making the sequel to (laughs) out of context with no weight behind it whatsoever and no understanding of what made the original moment so special and it's like Ugh, I'm so, so tired. But part of me is also like, Jaws 2 is so, like, and again, this feels mean, and I don't mean to be mean to Jeanette Schwark, the director of Jaws 2, but it feels so flat. It it doesn't have anything else in it in terms of style. It doesn't 
it it feels very matter of fact and very straightforward and very plain and it feels like when you take out a lot of Spielberg's kind of like directorial choices like that as you said the dolly zoom moment it ends up feeling kind of weirdly bland like there's a moment on the beach when he fires at the school of fish where the camera's kind of looking at him and I'm almost expecting the dolly zoom to happen in that second but it doesn't but also nothing else happens in that second it's just a shot of Roy Scheider staring at the camera and I'm like this feels kind of awkward that I'm looking at you and you're looking at me and nothing is happening if that makes sense. I, I think that's deliberate though. Like what what I quite think works about this film is I think it gets point of view right. And I think it does that a lot with Brody where you have moments like that where we're kind of just like staring at him dead on and he's like, oh God, what's happening? What's going on? Like, what do I do? Or um, what have I done? Also, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But also with the shark, like I kind of wish it had lent into that a little bit more because like we get a lot of point of view stuff with the shark that I found quite interesting. And I think it kind of makes how often you see the shark work because you're seeing it, but you're not seeing it really like dead on all the time. You see it often kind of overhead shots, which I thought worked really well. It kind of gets the size across and the speed, like Emma was saying, like, and I kind of like that it made the shark bigger and stronger and faster, even though obviously that's such a cliche now. Um, but yeah, and even just the scar, like it keeps showing the scar. We keep getting these like really close shots. And like you were talking about where it's like literally like we are the shark. It's I, I loved it. And I, I would have liked to see really a bit more of that. And, and probably a bit more of that in those kind of um sections with the teenagers. Because I think it doesn't give us that and it doesn't really give us much. Like what I think would have worked maybe a little bit better, you do have the teenagers kind of like shaking each other and kind of a little bit of friction, but we don't have enough context to really like, there's not set up character relationships or dynamics that we really, that that has any weight or anything. They're they're all just kind of a little bit stressed. I think they do well with it, but I think it would have worked better to, to either dig into that a little bit more or shorten that section. Because I mean, this is quite a long film for what it, is doing and, and it kind of doesn't need to be like we're we're on board it's not like Jaws where you kind of have to have all the setup like we we know we know there's a shark so yeah it kind of just it, it takes a long time I feel like to kind of do some of the things that it's doing I love that Brody crashes the boat I love it so much I just think he's so fixated on this thing and I just really loved it and I thought it was really kind of consistent with with where he's at and what he's doing he's just like he's not even able to kind of concentrate on saving them and in fact it it impedes him saving them because he's just so hysterical at this point that he's just like the shark the shark (laughs) oh by the way i loved it we should point out like cable junction the island that 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 the the climax takes place on didn't actually exist it was a set that was built for the movie obviously but it would keep it looks like a set yeah yeah it it was made of fiberglass the kids would keep slipping on it like they kept having to reshoot because the kids couldn't climb aboard it they kept falling into the ocean um so they had they found it really difficult to work on and at several points it would like start drifting like at one point apparently schwark received like a radio call telling him the island was heading to cuba um, because they were filming off the coast of Florida. They had to, like, recover it. They had to send out, like, boats to, like, corral and recover uh, the, the island, the Cable Island. Sorry, I Can I say that, like, like even, you know, like, hindsight is twenty twenty. but I, they, they, this movie could have afforded to be less crappy, you know, in, in terms of, like, examples like that. But, like, the important thing is the 
is the creature in the creature feature to 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 make it better. And this is nineteen seventy nine. Like this, it it, it or seventy eight. Sorry. Um. Oh, sorry, seventy eight. But it, it it's it's after Star Wars, where you have people yeah. like uh, uh, Bob Botton and Phil Tippett kind of starting their career. Um, who go on to 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 work on Robocop, the obligatory Robocop reference, and they, they like they it feels. Like the success that Jaws was, um, and the success that this was going to be um, commercially, they, they, they I mean, they obviously they didn't know that, and maybe they tried to do certain things on the cheap, but um, it, it, it. Oh no, no, oh no! This was a, this was a ridiculously and absurdly expensive movie, as we said. This but is one st- of the first. It still had the crappy island and the crappy uh, <laughs> uh, shark and. Like what now, was to all be the fair, money a lot of money on. was burned to the fact that they effectively shot it twice, to be fair. Um, well, and like Schmark yeah, kept said, firing people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah, the, the position from, again, Sid Scheidberg, the head of Universal, who will be a recurring fixture on this podcast for the next couple of days. How much money did like, you yeah. spend on eight-year-olds? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you explain this budget, please? But he was like, yeah, we're going to spend as much money as it takes to make the movie that we feel that it deserves to be. And we're not spent. And he did, to be clear, he had to go and explain to the New York Times they were not burning stakeholder money. He was just spending the profits of Jaws in the hope of investing and getting more money that he could earn on the sequel. But yeah, like the, the reported budget of this, according to Schwark, he spent somewhere in the region of about $14 million, which is more expensive than Star Wars, um, to put that in perspective That's for crazy. the time. Uh, but um, it's not on the screen. Schwark, Schwark is like I only know I only know the money after I was hired. Like Schwark's position is fourteen million dollars. That was my half of the movie. Uh, I don't know what they spent before I got there. That's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Is um, that why it's one of the most successful sequels? Did all the money go on marketing? <laughs> like what happened? <laughs> Um, but well, I mean, again, like it, it did make a, a shed load of money. And like, again, it arguably has one of the great sequel lines. Like it has yes. one of the great taglines. Yeah. 100%. Not, not just great sequel lines, but yeah, it it is one of the great taglines of like, like, is there a better, well, I would say probably um, in, in space, no one can hear you scream. Might, yeah. might, might be better, yeah. but like, it's better than uh, you would believe a man can fly. Are kind of I'm, 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 no, but uh, the like, most I'm, terrifying motion picture from the terrifying number one bestseller. That's the original <laughs> Jaws tagline, which doesn't roll off the tongue. Yeah, no, but I'm I'm trying to think. Like, are there are there very many better uh, taglines than um, just, just when, when you thought it was safe to go back in the water? Yeah, I don't think so. Like that, the the, the uh, yeah, uh, maybe maybe I I think Jess is right, and that a lot of the money was spent on marketing. <laughs> like, I, I, I love mean, the I have this image of like Don Draper and the lads just like <laughs> sort of spending weeks weeks on end in the eighties, just kind of coming up with no 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 we got it we got it this time. But uh, all right, so in terms of so so Emma and and Jess, anything else we want to talk about with regards to Jaws two? Also, in research for this podcast, because I was kind of curious, uh, sharks attacking helicopters. Great white sharks can apparently jump up to three meters out of the water. They can jump their whole three body meters. up to three meters out of the water. Terrifying. They, that is... I think, it, yeah, 
In 2011, uh, a great white shark managed to jump on board a research vessel, like completely on board a research vessel. Uh, the research vessel had to like Stop keep, researching. Had to keep it alive, like by pouring water on its gills until they could get a crane, uh, like to lift it back into the ocean. Um, but yeah, so the, just just if you weren't, it's not even safe to go, you know, three meters Out above the water. The water. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, they're, um, they're unstoppable killing machines. I think that's why we find sharks so fascinating. Like, I don't think it's any surprise that this has spun an entire genre of creature feature. Like, they're just terrifying. And I think it, it really speaks to something kind of prehistoric and, and this dread that we have around the ocean. And I think the best shark films are the ones that lean into that, however they accomplish it. Like, I think Jaws does a great job because Verna Fields was like, we're not shooting this thing, it looks awful. Like, you know, of, of not showing us it, but showing what it does, like the, the head coming out of the boat and stuff like this. And what I think worked well in Jaws 2 to a degree is when they actually stop showing it, but they wreck the boats. So it's like, who who's going to get hit or where where is it? Like, we, we don't know where it is. We don't know how big it is. We can't see. Yet. the dorsal fin notably also is is not coming up it's barely shown so we're like you know it kind of destabilizes what we've we've seen before and because they are a bit younger and they're vulnerable and the, the boats are just right and they keep falling as well i think i think a lot of that section kind of works quite well the floor is lava the most dangerous yeah. game of the floor is yeah. lava these yeah. kids have ever played um, and i get like it's notable that like i think jaws 2 doesn't show the dorsal fin at all it shows the, the back fin obviously but the, the rear fin which is used to establish scale so you never know how big this shark is which is an interesting kind of like creative choice but to, to andrew's point in terms of cheapness I, I will say that there was a moment i noticed where the shark like attacks the boat quite early on and like its mouth is gaping open and you can see like the mechanical gears inside and you're that like that happens a few times where <laughs> yeah. it goes up on the sides of yeah. boats and you're like why are they showing me this like i'm <laughs> seeing down like what yeah i'm like surely the editor at some point saw it and they're like we're not shooting a third version of jaws 2 you, you get you get one complete reshoot of this movie you don't get two unfortunately um uh, what about so anything else we're talking about anything we haven't discussed already in terms of like so anything at all I'll characters uh i'll say kind of like but it, it probably deserves he said that like they're, they're obviously shark, sharks are terrifying but but that we're much more terrifying and 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 that the kind of like post jaws their 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 um shark populations have um have like fallen catastrophically um and and and, and, so many and, sharks are lost in vendettas against the families that, that kill their family members. It's it's no, I'm sorry that that's me being flippant. No, <laughs> yes, shark populations have fallen. It is it is actually terrible. Yeah, and and then and, and that it kind of um, that I've 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 heard it certainly implied that like the the, the there were more people killing um, uh, sharks or um, you know that 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 they were seen as like kind of like this uh, threat to um seaside towns and all that sort of thing 
Whereas in, in reality, sharks will generally only attack humans when they mistake them as kind of like other forms of marine life form. So when they see people on surfboards, no, when they see people on surfboards and think of their seals or whatever, because they've got four legs flapping and, 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 a, and a big so They're unlikely to actually kill humans as well. Like when they yeah. encounter humans, they'll kind of test bite and then it's like, Ugh, I don't know what that is. Oh yeah, you'll never, leave. they never like eat a whole human. The way you die is that they'll... they'll... You'll bleed to death. If, exactly. If you're, if you're too far out. It's that's usually kind of the factor. Yeah, or you pass out and you drown. But I, I think didn't Peter Benchley up until his death, like, I think he made a statement. He was like, I'm, I'm so like he felt, he really felt a responsibility of what he had done for the kind of vilification of sharks. Of the shark. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I think he did feel really responsible and feel really sad about it. That like I'm so sorry that this kind of led to this like mass kind of you know culling of sharks from humans. And it, it's it's amazing how a book and a film kind of caused that. Yeah, just in terms of cultural impact. All right, then. I think that then about wraps it up, then, unless there's anything else we want to say about Jaws 2, anything we haven't discussed already. Uh, so what we normally do at the end of the podcast, we ask our guests to recommend something for listeners, something they're enjoying at the moment, something related or unrelated to the movie in question, just something that might, they think listeners might enjoy. So to give Emma and Jess a chance to think about it, I'm going to ask Andrew to go first. Um, we spoke about um, slashers and kind of horror earlier um i recommend something that's not uh well oh yeah it it, it is actually frightening uh, it has its moments and it has some some very good gore but is um it's mostly a a a, a kind of a a teen comedy which which is uh freaky it's um it's yeah. a, oh, um yeah. it's a lot of fun i think it's been recommended i think from from a few people before i think even before it was out I think Charlene might have recommended it. So I'd um I'd recommend that. It's Vince Vaughn um doing some, some good work. The um hold on a second. The um Catherine sh- Newton. Catherine Newton, is she the, the, the female lead? Yeah. I feel like sorry, yeah, I, I, I couldn't uh, because 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 she's not known to me, I didn't um I didn't know the actor's name. Uh but I thought she was fantastic um in it. And doing a lot. You know, like, like, like I feel um, like I, I enjoyed Vince Vaughn's kind of like um, performance um, uh, as her, but it, it wasn't kind of subtle, her, you know, <laughs> um, but it, I, 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 I enjoyed that a great deal. Yeah. Um, I've also been watching True Detective. Um, the season. Oh, you're on a se- Vince Vaughn kick. Season se- <laughs> no, <laughs> season one. I actually didn't oh, mind okay. season two um, at, at at all. I, I I I thought people were very hard on it. I th- I think you season- know, sometimes you do get blue balls in your heart, Andrew. <laughs> so, well. They, I, I guess that's a reference to to. That's a Vince. That's a, the famous Vince Vaughn line from True Detective season two. It's like you got blue balls in your heart. Okay. I, I like. I, I also think that like True Detective season two gets a hard time, but that line has like stuck with me. Sorry, sorry. I think season. See how? What is the the plural for seasons of two? <laughs> See, seasons two. Second seasons. Second, second seasons. Second seasons do get a hard time anyway. Like with the wire, uh, I thought season two was great. Like um, well, that, that's the logic is I think that in most cases the creator or the showrunner or the writers have had like years upon years upon years if they could write a tv show what would the first season look like and then it's a success and it's like so you got three months to do that again um and that's tends to but i, I think, don't think that was the case 
would either True Detective or The Wire season two. I think when 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 um, I think it's the case with things like Breaking Bad, where they have this great idea for a show that would last a season. And in fairness, people love Breaking Bad, but it does. I, make... I did like the Andrew takes a pot shot at Breaking Bad two fifty bingo card. I, I was quite happy to see that come back. No, but in terms of like, he's not always going to be dying from cancer, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Like, like that, that, that's not really going to kind of last beyond Sustain, like one yeah. season. So, um, but anyway, that, that I, I, I think the wire, um, season two, which I guess I'd also recommend for, um, and, and true detective season two are interesting. Yeah, because, I mean, you should probably watch, you should probably watch the, the wire season two as part of the wire season one. Like you could drop into true detective season two by itself. Oh yeah. Yeah. But the, you should probably like, watch the wire season one before watching the wire season two. Like kind of yes and no, because I, I think the problem that people had with, with season two was kind of how much it kind disconnected. of uh, disconnected, which, 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 which is taken kind of like to an extreme with true detective where it's completely different. I think that's what, what people um, didn't like about it. Um, I also have season three to look forward to, which um, which is... And season four is coming with Jodie Foster. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's a hell of a hell of a thing. Which Anyway, I'm that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry. I'm going down that rabbit hole. But uh, Jess, what would you recommend for this? Is What are you enjoying at the moment? Um, so I've been watching All of Us Are Dead, which is a Korean zombie TV show set in, mostly in a high school. And I just think it's really interesting. Like, like this is my two big things are sharks and zombies. So I've watched <laughs> a lot of trash. Um, and I think it kind of goes in an interesting direction where the zombies, like, they're not quite dead and they're also not quite, um, like, not present. Like, there is some level of kind of cognition. And it also does really interesting body horror stuff. Like, they, they click and they're very guttural and, like, their bones crack and, you know, you kind of have, like, sympathy for them. And I think it kind of draws your attention back into the zombies because I think a lot of us, because zombie stuff has become kind of relatively popular and there's never really a year where it's kind of completely gone, we kind of disconnect from the zombies and that's why you have this thing where like now they have to be super fast or they have to you know all this they have to be unkillable and I think it kind of they have to kill a helicopter yeah I I think it kind of scales that down in a way and kind of reframes your focus and, and the story and like I was saying with the kind of shark thing where you don't want it to be about the shark any zombie stuff you know like the the dawn of the dead and, and any of the greats um aren't actually about the zombies and this definitely isn't and it's about kind of a few things um so yeah I've been really enjoying that it's great it's on Netflix that sounds great um and orca the killer whale as well i think you recommended earlier uh just 100%. to repeat that just to... <laughs> it's hard it's hard to get um we had seen the trailer for it i can't even re- probably i was watching a documentary about shark films i think is how i spotted it and it, it has one line from the trailer which is what are you richard harris like screaming at the and you're i was like i have to see what whatever that was i have to find it and and i actually struggled to hunt it down so if you can find it definitely watch it i would also say the international posters of it it has some incredible ones quite bizarrely but do check them out they're they're a riot and if you're not hunting orca the killer whale orca the killer whale is probably hunting you um 
Emma, what would you recommend? What are you enjoying at the moment? So since we've had TV and films, I'll do something different. I'll do books. I'm currently reading Joe Spain, um, The Last to Disappear. Joe Spain is like a really brilliant um, Irish detective writer. And she has a series of like these these books that follow the same detective in Dublin. But this one is a standalone about a guy who travels to Lapland to discover his sister's um, his sister's been murdered and he's kind of helping the detective there. But it's kind of made me think of how, you know, when we think when you think of kind of like Irish literature, Irish writers, you think of Joyce, you think of Yeats, you think of whatever. But like the crime detective scene recently has been dominated by Irish women and it's brilliant. Tana French, Liz Nugent and Joe Spain. French is incredible, yeah. Incredible. Tana French is a bit kind of like, you know, tougher stuff. Joe Spain is a bit kind of easier where Liz Nugent is not so much crime just writing about really awful people but in such a superb way that you can't put it down. And I just think like contemporary like Irish female writers definitely deserve more credit. Like, yeah, Joyce is great and all, but you know, let's give them some credit. So yeah, Joe Spain, if you love detective books and Tana French, if you like something a bit heavier, she can go into the supernatural, which not everyone likes, but she, all three of them are terrific writers. So I definitely recommend them. Um, and, and in terms of, of recommendations uh, from myself, uh, just just one really, because we're going to be doing several of these this week. Uh, I really, I rewatched recently Shadow of the Vampire, which is the 2000 movie about the making of Nosferatu, in which it is suggested that German director F.W. Murnau, played here by John Malkovich in a very John Malkovich performance, has actually made a deal with a literal vampire uh, played by Willem Dafoe to star in his movie, which is a rip-off version of Dracula. Uh, and as a result, you end up with the push and pull between Murnau as director, Willem Dafoe as bloodthirsty parasite, who's also playing a vampire, and trying to take control of the making of Nosferatu in 1922. Um, I, I saw this as a teenager. Um, I loved it as a teenager. I hadn't rewatched it in years. I, I stuck it on recently last week. Uh, and it is just a joy, a joy from beginning to end. I, I adore it. I wholeheartedly recommend recommend it it can be quite difficult to track down you may need to find a physical copy of it but because we were talking a little bit about slasher movies we we're talking a little bit about horror movies we we're talking a little bit about movie making history shadow of a vampire uh shadow of the vampire well worth seeking out um like an amazing film if people haven't seen it um so i, I fell in love with it again all right so uh if people are looking for a bit more emma a bit more jess in their lives where can they find you so emma where are you at what are you up to um, I am an editor at Collider, which is a website for all film, TV and games reviews, that type of thing. And you can find me on Twitter at Emma Kylie Zero. And Jess, where are you at? Watch up to. So I regularly contribute to filmindublin.ie, um, which can be found on Twitter at filmindublin. Um, myself, I am at Tada underscore Jess. And we've recently come out with a art book for Pretty Deadly Films, which is our zine. And 250 listeners actually have an exclusive discount code for 25% off. So that is 250 on Kofi. And uh, my copy actually arrived uh, a little while ago as we recorded this. It's a it's a wonderful little zine. It's it's just a wonderful collection of artwork from very, very talented people. Uh, I would wholeheartedly recommend that and kind of second that as well. All right, so we are available wherever good podcasts are found. You probably found us already if you're listening to us. I'm going to go out on a limb and assume. But if you have stumbled across us somehow and are vaguely confused by the noise coming into your ears, you can find us on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and Amazon, where, Spotify, wherever good podcasts are found. We're on Twitter at at the 250. You can come tweet at us uh we are doing shark week at the moment so we will be back later this week i'm guessing the structure of this is going to be like monday tuesday jaws jaws 2 thursday friday jaws 3d jaws the revenge so i guess we'll be back the day after tomorrow talking about jaws 
3D. Um, and joining us for that discussion... <gasps> the day after tomorrow, Dennis Quaid. That was a good yeah, one. Yeah. I like that. Um, and you can, I'm, I'm going to take credit for that and insist that was entirely planned and not at all a happy coincidence. But yes, young Dennis Quaid will be starring in Jaws 3D, which is available in glorious 2D from any number of online providers. Uh, I managed to track down a 3D copy because of course I did. But we'll talk about that two days time when we talk about this movie thank you so much jess thank you emma thank you for your time guys it's been an absolute pleasure thanks so much guys bye Bye. thanks guys